All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You're listening to. Nasty Knuckles, the Hockey Outlaws Podcast, with your hosts, Derek Nasty Sotomayor and former Philadelphia Flyer Enforcer, Riley Cote, as they go behind the scenes with your favorite NHL players. This week's guest is longtime Philadelphia Flyers defenseman and media personality, Chris Terrian. Time to face off. All right, welcome back to another episode of Nasty Knuckles. What's going on, Nast? Not too much. What's up, Riggs? Not a whole lot. You know it. Got the home life, got the hockey yeah. life, and uh, I'm enjoying the pod with you, brother. Yeah, man. It's awesome. Awesome uh, guest this week. I'm excited. Excited about it. What do you got in the background there? A little Coker College? Some hoops? Oh, not a big deal. Just uh, Actually, it's kind of embarrassing if you really look. It's so long ago. It kind of gives my age away. But, yeah, it's my sophomore year team picture. Um, Yeah, I have something better coming up. I actually have one of my jerseys being framed, you know, because I really lit it up in college. Hoops there. (laughs) May have scored. In college, I probably didn't even score 30 points total my whole career. He wouldn't let me shoot, man. You got to run the offense now. Nah, he he let me shoot. I'm kidding, but uh, yeah, that's what it is. Team picture. Um, but uh, what's going on over there in the old Cote household? Uh, you know, I just came back from a little hockey practice. You know, five year old uh, half ice. Oh yeah, grind grind time. 
Uh, lots of fun. Oh, yeah. Lots of fun. Yeah. <laughs> we, but, I, uh, I did a little bit of that this weekend. Elvis had three games on Saturday. Ooh. A bit, of, a bit of a shit show. I played at seven at the Igloo, and we had to run over, drive over uh, for an 850 game. Literally, every one of us took our kids out of the car with their gear still and threw them into the rink, and they went out for warm-up. I mean, they literally just made it in time for the game. But as you may have seen, the Nasty Knuckles Snipe of the Week came oh, from yeah. Elvis. Uh, finally got his first real goal. Um, hate to say, his first goal he ever scored was in his own net. And I don't have the heart to tell him. <laughs> it was honestly one of the it, – it was awesome, but it was like, you know, you're like – you scratching your head. <laughs> and he couldn't have been a better shot. He, he actually got down on the one knee and – Oh, Bill Crosby. Yeah, because it was exactly what I look, and I'm like, that's the wrong net, bro. And he came firing over to me to the glass, and he's so excited. I just, I, what, what do you do? I'm like, good job. But <laughs> what were the rest he, of his teammates doing? <laughs> and everyone's laughing. Well, some of the kids, you know, they were going, what are you doing? Because he shot it. This was a year and a half ago. But anyway, he got his first goal, and it was really, it was really exciting. He, uh, he, uh, the one we posted was a shootout goal. It was a legit shootout goal. His other one was was uh, he actually got the puck around the blue line and he skated in and he shot it, scored. But it's not very good footage of it. But he gave the old Timo Solani, oh. and his head coach was just going nuts. He's like, "How does he know that?" I'm like, "Because he watches everything to do with hockey. He knows uh, all that stuff." But anyway, it was pretty exciting. Yeah, I guess so. Exciting. Well, he had a pretty awesome celly there too, the old Danny B, you know, the old, yeah. the old ice grab. And I think he he almost he almost fell when he did it, but he was <laughs> I think he was have I think he was thinking Danny B. He was so excited he didn't know what to do, and he knew I was standing right there. So it was it was fun to see, man. It was, was I actually got way more excited than I thought I would when, oh, he, yeah, when, he, when he scored. I was I mean I was going to be excited, but not I didn't think I'd be as excited as I was. It was awesome. No, oh, that's great. Yeah, I'm still waiting for Kinsey's first snipe. That'll come. That'll come. Oh, sure. <laughs> She's having fun. That's all that matters. Took him a while. Just got to get her in the in the pile and get her to get her to just pursue the puck a little more. So that'll be a oh, win for me. She was she was telling me earlier when you left the mic there. She she got on there and she said she was just asking everybody to go. <laughs> yeah, right. She wanted to chuck them a little bit, but well, originally I had to tell her to you know just get engaged a little more and you know and just kind of like get after it. And then she started blowing up her own players, and I was like, "Whoa, kids, you got to <laughs> you got to you got to at least attack the opponent here, not your own teammates." So we're getting there. Uh, yeah, it's a process. That's cool. It's a process for sure. And so much fun. Though, yeah, it is. It. it is as raw as it gets, right? Um, so this week we had an interesting week uh, with the Flyers. Anyway, half the seems like half the team ended up with COVID, which is unfortunate because they had two games. Yep. That they had to play. I felt like uh, I don't know what you thought. I thought they still should have beat the Rangers. To be honest yeah. with you, they yeah. were right there. He couldn't be too disappointed with that game. The game in uh, Lake Tahoe kind of got away from them. It was close for a bit, but um, you yeah. know, it's tough when you're missing that many guys, especially you know probably five forwards that are easily in your top two, maybe three lines, but most of them top two lines. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think the Bruins are in the Flyers' heads and going into that game and missing six bodies certainly didn't help. But uh, right. yeah, I mean they're just they didn't generate any offense, and you know suspect defensively but again we can't really 
you know, yeah. put a whole lot of stock and then you're missing that many guys. But uh, certainly the Bruins have their number this year, and hopefully they can get out of that funk somehow. Pasternak's got their number for sure. Uh, I think Pasternak's got everybody's number. Yeah, no, he is the insane. Kid's special. God, is he a good player? Yeah. I, I remember. I remember uh, talking about Pasta his first year before the game. We uh, they were playing in Philadelphia, and Razor was playing, Ray Emery, mm-hmm. and he actually said to me before the game, he was looking at the uh, the sheets. You know, you guys got with everybody's stats and all that, and he was like, Pasta was 18 years old, and only. A, you know, a few months, maybe like just barely 18. He and Razor was like, Look at this kid, 88. He's he's barely, you know, he just turned 18. He ended up with a hat trick that night. Oh, wow. Pasta scored, he was a rookie and he scored a hat trick that night. Yeah, but um, anyway, yeah, he's a, he's a heck of a player. I, I really believe in my heart, though, man. Like, I think in a seven game series, I know it doesn't look good right now because they've lost every game. Tough to count last one with all the guys out, but I got a question for you. What do you do if you're one of these teams? Say, you imagine Boston, top five players getting COVID when the playoffs start. What do you do? Does the league say we're not playing? It's a good question. Yeah, I, I mean, know. Yeah, I mean, you got to follow the protocols, be, right? You talk about a shit show. Yeah. Like, that's – like, it's not really fair that the guys couldn't play because some games have been canceled. I don't know how, how they constitute canceling a game when Flyers had six guys out. I mean, yeah. I, I don't. I mean, I don't know how that works. I, I, I don't Maybe know it was because it, it was the Lake Tahoe game, and they had all that stock invested into it, and they didn't want to cancel that. But uh, yeah, well, I mean, even making them play the Rangers, though. Yeah, I know we talked about that last week, right? I mean, they had I an mean, opportunity to maybe have yeah, some slide in there, but like, but what? What's the league? Hopefully, hopefully, everybody, if they haven't got it, they're getting their shots, and they won't get it, so it won't affect the playoffs. Because that'd be a shame. It would be for a, a shame. team to, you know, have guys get it like you man thank god this happened now right. to the flyers you know and, and instead of you know right there for the playoff push because these games we talked about before obviously didn't take a rocket science to figure it out it, they're all important because there's not that many That's it. so you don't want to lose too many and i do feel bad for the guys because they're they're uh those guys are sick and out of the lineup but you know they, they it wasn't like they didn't try it wasn't like they didn't show up to play they they played hard you just Tough when yeah. you're missing a lot of guys. Exactly. They started out the right way and got Harry yeah. there in second. But I just, again, whatever. The, the lineup as it was, uh, obviously missing some offensive guys, but they're still, it's kind of consistent that they kind of go hot and cold with, with putting up enough shots to win games. You know what I mean? Offensive chances. And part of that is the, the D looks a, little, looks a little hairy back there at times there, too. But, um, um, you know, it's slowly but surely they get G back. Wh- whoever, I mean, I'm sure there are a couple of guys that will be following suit here the next uh, day or two. You know, I think the, they're on their last day or two of of their right. COVID quarantine. So hopefully they can get back and Adam here uh, tomorrow night and, uh, and, uh, and and come up with a W and just get back in that uh, that win column. So yeah, but there has I been a few uh, f- filthy goals around the league. Uh, you know, always nice to see some uh, some highlights. And uh, between, well, we talked about McDavid. I mean, it's, he's insane. But uh, what about Austin Matthews? I mean, this guy's this guy's on fire. I think he finally had his point streak broken last night, if I'm not mistaken. I think he had like he was on a 16 gamer, and uh, Calgary. And I think pretty sure Calgary ended up winning that game, and uh, they shut him out. So uh, he had a couple chances, though. I mean, that guy. Wow, God, is he scoring? <laughs> Like it, it makes it's, it look crazy. easy. It makes it look ridiculously easy. 
he the does, way man. he moves and shoots. It's uh... I I was telling a couple of but my buddy, you know, mid men's league uh, on Sunday, and somehow you know they one of the guys was like, look how many goals he's got. I think he's leading the league, and I, and they were talking about it, and they're like, is he? He's not very big. I'm like, dude, this kid's big. Like he's not a little guy at yeah, all. He's like not, no. you know, I remember. Uh, I was fortunate enough to do the All Star game in the 2017, his rookie year, and I don't know if we had played them yet, but he came into the room with it, and you know, like obviously for the skills and all that. And I was, I did not know he was that big. Like he's a, he's a big man. He's, yeah, uh, yeah, he's boy, a good player, man. No doubt. All right, well, let's get on with our interview with our good friend Chris Terrian, which is brought to you by DraftKings. It's not quite time for the madness that is college basketball in March, but that doesn't mean the fun has to wait. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all new players the chance to cash $100. New customers can bet $1 on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week, and if your team makes it rain, you cash $100. You better get on that, Riggs. That's right. All it takes is for one three-pointer being hit by your chosen team to turn $1 into $100. Sounds like a no-brainer. This slam dunk of an offer won't be around forever, so head to the App Store now, download the DraftKings Sportsbook, and get in on all of the action. If basketball isn't for you, DraftKings Sportsbook has daily odds in hockey, soccer, and so much more. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to its customers since 2012, so they know a thing or two about big paydays. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KNUCKLES to get your shot to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. That's promo code KNUCKLES for new customers to get a shot at 100 to 1 odds on any basketball team to hit a three-point shot. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Pennsylvania only, new customers only. Restrictions apply in partnership with Meadows Racetrack and Casino. Winnings paid out in four $25 free bets. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to another episode of Nasty Knuckles. I'm Riley Cote. And I'm Derek Settlemeyer, and this week we are so pleased to have a gentleman that played basically his entire career in the black and orange for the Philadelphia Flyers, our good friend. Got a few nicknames, buddy. We got Bundy. We got the Mad Dog, Mr. Chris Terrian, ladies and gentlemen. Guys, it is. I can't tell you how great it is to be on with both of you. Two of the guys I played with over the years that I just loved. I mean, terrific teammate, Riley. Derek, you're still a teammate. I mean, the trainers are always teammates, and... I'm so excited to be on with you guys. I know we're going to have a lot of fun, and uh, uh, and we'll uh, get down to some serious business here. Yeah, well, I appreciate you coming on, man. I know you got uh, a lot going on in uh, within your family life and your personal life. You got a, a few projects uh, um, brewing, so uh, yeah, I really appreciate you carving out the time for us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Anytime, I'd love to. Right on. Well, I'm not even sure exactly where to begin. I mean, you had a a, 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 a nice a, a nice career, you know. I mean, you talk about hockey careers, and, and not too many guys can play 12 seasons. And uh, like Nasty said, I think all but one year you were uh, with the Philadelphia Flyers, which is uh, impressive enough in, in itself. So, 
why don't you talk us through, I mean, you, yeah. maybe your career and the evolution of the game. I know it's a maybe a little, a little bit uh, packed there, but, um, you know, you come into the, the league, you know, it's still old school. And then I think when you when you retire in 05, 06, or after that season, it was essentially the new NHL. And then you get into broadcasting yeah. and you've seen this thing evolve. So talk to that. You know what, Riley? It's 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 interesting you say that because I, I will say this: I, I had uh, you know I grew up in Ottawa, Canada. I ended up taking a completely different route uh, than most guys took. I ended up going to Northwood Prep School in Lake Placid. I know you, you guys. I maybe been up there one year, Derek, for uh, yep. for camp. Uh, it was a complete curveball that my my dad had thrown. I think he felt I needed to change the scenery. I quit hockey at fourteen for an entire year, and I skied. Oh wow. Um, you hear people hear those stories sometimes, and you're like, "Wow!" Like you know, Michael Jordan got cut from his team, but I got cut in the fall by two hockey teams. And um, one of the worst parts was my dad got asked to help on the lesser team, and then they cut me from that team too <laughs> while he was a coach. So if you want to talk about getting kicked right in the balls, that's <laughs> as much as you're going to experience at the age of, of, of 14 years old. So you know what? I stepped back. Um, he said, Let, "Let's give it a shot." Um, and and I and I went off to Northwood as a 15 year old. Ironically, uh, this place is a, was a hockey factory. They had kids going out here. They had 11 Division One kids on that team. <clears throat> and um, I went in my my so- I went back a year because we still did uh, five grades in Canada to grade 13. And so I repeated a year to get more American history and all the you know the stuff that uh, was requirements down here. And I think that. Uh, you know, that ended up being a good decision for me. It gave me a year more of high school, gave me a little bit more preparation at the time. I was a young kid because I was at December birthday with my hockey years, and you know, you know how famous that is over, over time. But my first year at sophomore year, I played on the JV team uh, at Northwood. Uh, still, you know, again, but I felt like I was, I was coming along. And then, um, you know, as I tell people, I had uh, by the end of my um, – my, my sophomore year, I was probably the best player on the JV team. And then walking in the camp the next year as a 16-year-old, I was probably the best player in the fall on the varsity team. Uh, it just – everything just kind of snapped into place. I grew like six inches. No, my parents are not people that you'd look at and say, oh, you know, they're giant people, and that's why Chris is 6'5", you know, 250 or whatever. But that, that's not really the case. Uh, they're not big people. And uh, I grew up uh, – I grew like a weed, and I didn't lose any – any quickness or, or coordination through it. Uh, went off from there to Providence College. I had a number of uh, scholarships. I was always the American College route. My dad was always a believer in playing in the American College route. He went to St. Lawrence himself. He played for St. Mike's in uh, Toronto in the, the golden days of, of hockey when they would have, like, uh, you know, anybody up there they had the three games in a day. The junior uh-huh. beat St. Mike's team, the junior A team, and then the Toronto Maple Leafs at night would go off, and they'd, they'd have 17,000 people there for those games. So wow. you had a rich history of hockey coming, uh, you know, from my dad. And, you know, when I look at the Northwood decision, I look at that as a, as a case of a guy really believing in somebody, uh, especially when you put, lay all your money, uh, you know, on, on your kid uh, at the time where, uh, you know, you say to yourself, Does this, uh, is, it, is it worth it? You know, I know my dad had to dig into his pockets pretty heavily at the time. He didn't have a lot. I think it costed ten grand U.S. to go to that school a year then, and uh, that was a stretch for him. But you know, we made it happen, and uh, uh, all better for it. I ended up going to Providence for three years. Had a, a really good career in the Hockey East. Uh, played with some, yeah. And along the journey here, too, guys, I played with some great guys. Craig Conroy was a teammate of mine at Northwood. He went on okay. to play over a thousand games in the right. NHL. Uh, you know, Riley, you'll love this one. But you know, people say, "Oh, Northwood Prep School," like you know, it's kind of, it's not. Uh, be perfect in maybe today's game, but Jay Miller and Chris Nyland went to Northwood. 
Oh, wow. And, uh, <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, you talk Knuckles? Knuckles. <laughs> wow. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. So, I mean, again, it's it, – and, uh, you know, Tony Granato went there. Michael Richter went to Northwood. Uh, they had a lot a lot of interesting characters. I went to – you know, I went to Providence. It was uh, three years. I probably sh- – you know, I guess in hindsight when I look at it, I probably should have left after my second year. I didn't uh, – I stayed my junior year, which was a mistake, but I ended up uh, as a result getting um, selected to the Olympic team in 94. That's right. So that was pretty cool to, to get around, you know, travel the world, see different places, a lot of the European countries, spending uh, – you know, Christmas in Russia, which, you know, I'll never forget because it's just so awesome over there. And, uh, you know, so uh, that's kind of where it's going to work. Well, the Russians are all going to come down on me now. But, uh, you know, I, you know, so I had great experiences. And then the next year at the Olympics, I ended up uh, right after the Olympics, the Flyers had not made the playoffs. The, the Hershey Bears were uh, – I'd signed about a, three weeks after the Olympics, and the Hershey Bears had some games left in playoffs. So I went down there and played just a handful of games. Uh, and came in the training camp in '94. Uh, very the half year. That was my first year. We were we were that's when we met. That's right. Uh, we had the half season there, and you. So I think you played about 36 games, maybe something like that. And Hershey, and then came up every game. My yep. half year, I played 48 yeah. games. Yeah. So you know, again, it was it was like yeah. But I went back down to the minors after camp. Okay. And and I, yeah, because it was I, a lot. That's what you meant, right? 30, yeah. 35 games for yeah. the fan played that year because yeah. of the lockout. So. Right. Um, you know, I made the team, and I, I think I said the hockey news guy said, "You know, how does it feel?" I said, "Well, it's a pretty shitty year, I guess, to make your NHL team." He gets sent to the minors because <laughs> of a work stop. Yeah, um, but it all came together, and I, I got my first game in January of '95. And I guess what I could tell you is, you know, I, I know you kind of mentioned, you said it right a little bit. You, um, you know, the golden era of hockey. You know, I came in here, and there were guys when I walked in that locker room that were already legends. All right, uh, you know from. I, I'd seen guys over the years. Like, you know, I look at a guy like Dave Brown. I mean, I know sure. people wow. see Brownie Brown. One of the toughest, most feared guys ever. You know, now he's on your team. Ron Hextall. Now, <laughs> to be honest, like, when I saw Ron Hextall, I was a 1987 Canada Cup goalie, one of them. And here I was now playing with this guy. So all these things were, were really just unreal to me uh, and surreal. Uh, Craig McTavish. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, one of the great McTavish stories. I mean, he was in there. He won a cup the year before with the Rangers. Um you know, and he came in, and and, and uh, he was a guy that I think Clarky wanted to bring in just to, you know, kind of get some leadership in there for, uh, you know, a guy who won a lot of cups. You know, Lindros was still young at the sure. time. But Matt T was a guy, you know, we'd seen him all those years with that helmet off. And I don't know if you remember, Derek, when they uh, – that that sports guy. I think he's out in Anaheim now. He's a writer – or uh, the uh, the radio guy. And they, they tricked uh, him one time when we were in Nassau Coliseum, and they said to him, hey uh, – McTavish forgot his helmet. <laughs> yeah, he's still there too. He, yeah, he's the radio guy there. Yeah, and he went and he went around calling people back in Philly to try to find the guy's helmet. Well, I used to send the kids, which I, I never understood. Guys that had worked in the room usually it was a newer guy. I'd be like, "Oh my god, could you go grab 14's helmet, please?" You know, they'd come back five minutes. It's not in the stall. It's not underneath. It's not. I'm like. Well, it's got to be up there. Like, we didn't leave it. You know, and finally they're like, wait a minute. He doesn't wear a fucking helmet. <laughs> but anyway, I, you know, and I, I loved it because even then, like, the helmets were, I mean, everybody wore a helmet except yeah. like McTavish, probably Brad Marsh. Yeah. Maybe at the yeah. end there a little bit. But, uh, yeah. you know, I see a guy out there skating around with no bucket on. I'm thinking, man, this is like old school. <laughs> yeah, right. It's so weird, isn't it? Think <laughs> about that. Like, I mean, who's you know, the last I'm, one? Yeah, you see him, you're like, fuck, I hope that guy doesn't get run over. He's got no bucket on or something. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, 
you know, that's that's kind of what it, what it was. And, and I guess you know when you say it too, and then you come in, and then Eric Lindros is on the team, and you know, I mean, at the same time, you're you're you know, this has been a guy that the whole world has been following for probably five or six years to that time when I got in that locker room, maybe longer. So there was a lot of big big faces, big names in that room. Kevin Deneen. Um, yeah. And it was a transition year. My first year was a real transition year. Clarkie came in, and you know that's the year the infamous Mark Recchi trade, uh, right. to, you know, for, for Johnny and, and Rico. And uh, of course, that that trade became very important for my career. And uh, yeah. uh, you know, and, and maybe maybe the, maybe the greatest trade uh, Flyers have ever made, and certainly Clarkie has ever made. Uh, you know, I love Mark Recchi. You know, Mark Recchi was another one that that's I came right. in with too. I mean, this again had like yeah. 140 points one year. You know, in Pittsburgh before he was there. Yeah. So he was already well on his way to a Hall of Fame career at the time. Yeah, it was intimidating. You know, I don't know if the game's the same like that, guys. Like, I guess people could walk in and see, like, a Connor McDavid or, uh, you know, Nathan McKinnon, uh, Austin Matthews, and you're saying to yourself, wow, these guys are superstars. But back then, it felt like every team had, like, five or six guys that were just yeah. legendary type of players. We can go back in history and uh, – and, and they, they, they didn't move around much either, no. like guys can now, you know, like – Right. Guys were kind of there where they were. I mean, yeah, there were obviously trades and things happening. Like ninety nine got traded, you know, right? Correct, but a couple times. But uh, you're right, man. Like, I was in Florida my first year. Yeah. The next year, I'm with you. Your first season, and you're right. Like, we had Brody Brendamore there too. Huh. Um, I mean, That's you right. know, there's just so many, so many guys, and uh, it it was wild because in in Florida, not to take anything away from everyone, but it was. Basically, Clarky did an unbelievable job there because he he pulled people that no one wanted, and missed the playoffs by one point. And then the inaugural year, obviously Vegas did a way better job, but it's a different game too. They end up going to the finals their first year. But anyway, it was even for me coming in there and, and those guys. It was it was a little bit different than it was for me in Florida. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? I mean, and that's tough too. But I'll say one thing about Clarky though: every team he'd been with, you know, Minnesota, the Flyers, yeah. Florida. I mean, he always put a team on the ice that had. Good character guys, good locker room guys. Uh, he had value for them. Those type of people, Riley. You guys, you guys were ones yourselves. It's hard. To, it's it's. I don't know if the times are different because there's too many cell phone cameras or there's too many reporters <laughs> around. But there was another way of living life in the sports world that we saw. The three of us saw, and a lot of your guests have seen too. So, you know, for me, it's 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 just a changing time. I I think it's a different. It's not. I say the sport's not worse for it. It's just different. Everything's different. Everything the game has is. changed. Outside of the rink has changed. All of it has. Yep. So I think it's how you adapt to that and uh, you know, and still find a level to compete as hard as you can on a nightly basis. That's yeah. the challenge. That is the challenge. But what do you think of the, the modern game? I mean, again, from two polar opposites, right? You come in the league and you're saying the Dave Browns, the Chiefs, and whoever else is floating around on the team at the time. And then, you know, and then say, you know, when you retired, the, the new NHL, right, right out of the lockout. And then, you know, today's day, you know, game is, you know, even stretched further. Like, what, what, is your, what are your thoughts about, say, the evolution in the current game? You know, I, I think the biggest thing, Riley, for me is the physicality. You know, when I did the NBC gig and I was between the benches. Yep. Um, if I didn't, I'm going to be honest with you, if I didn't have Wayne Simmons down there most nights, there you wouldn't heard a, you wouldn't heard a church mouse down there. Uh, so for me, the years I was there with Simmer, and I love like you know I love Wayne Simmons. He was he was a guy that was kind of trans you know transcended through time. Right. He didn't belong in the league the way he was playing in 2016 and 17. I he agree. didn't. He was just so authentically old school that I loved it. You yep. know, I was down there and you know, he'd come by, he'd say something on the bench, and you know, uh, but I didn't hear enough jarring. I, I, there's it, 
I mean, I remember guys coming by. There was every time a guy would skate by a bench we played, they, they, if you were close enough, you were hearing it from oh, yeah. everybody. Yeah. Everybody. The coach, the player. I heard I went by benches when the same guy came by. Yeah. You know, same shit. You know? Yeah. But now it's almost polite. Yeah. It's, it's funny you say that, uh, dog, because over the last few years, and even probably you probably heard it too, being in the middle of the benches when you were linesmen, you know, and I know they're told to do it. I'm not shitting on linesmen, but. Guys start chirping and they're like, "Hey, cut it out! Can't do yeah. you can't, do, they, they can't even talk." Like, it's crazy. Like that's that's gamemanship to me. Like even in a men's league game, you got guys chirping. I know it's way different. It, it, it's a way different thing, but you got you, you can't talk shit. Like that's crazy. You know, I think it's you're absolutely right. Like you can't say anything. You know, if you call some, you know, say a certain word or call someone a certain name, you're in a, you're you know you're you could be uh, in serious trouble, and rightly so. I mean, you want to call. Right. Every name that you've that they'll call somebody now and, and and call it a very offensive thing, we've heard in our careers right. on the ice. So like that's a hundred percent. You know, I think the one thing that I, that I find truly different though with the game, the way it is today, it's not so much the style. There's a lot of skill, a lot of you know transition and puck possession, but the thing that that probably pisses me off the most is to see as many free passes as you get. A guy like me came in out of college. Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't like Dave Brown, right? Like, I didn't come from the Midwest, a farm boy, where, you know, I mean, he grew up, and he loved flight, right? Like, he loved it. Yeah. Riley was a, as tough as it came, a heavyweight when he played. So, for me to, you know, to be respected by my teammates once in a while, you have to do something that's uncomfortable right? Uh, for yourself. And that's how you gain respect of your teammates. Uh, so, once in a while, you know, flight, flight. most people, Riley, I know you know this, about 95% of the league genuinely does not like the fight. No, no one really truly wants yeah, to get no one punched really, in Exactly, right? right? So true. And, and, and I, you know, I saw you, did, I mean, you were you were tough as fucking nails, you know. And then we had guys like Brasher. But that, to me, is the, the thing that I think is missing, where you got to look a guy in the eyes. And, and, and then with that kind of challenge, you're saying to yourself, you know what, I, I hope the guy sees me as a good teammate. Because whenever you're able to come out of your comfort zone, I always, uh, I always feel that you're going to make better hay at the end of the day for your team, and uh, and I, I tried that. I don't see that accountability today. Yeah. And uh, you know, and I, and again, I look back at Wayne Simmons. The, the some nights, are, you know, all of a sudden, that guy would fight some nights. I don't even know why he was doing it some nights, but he, you know, his knuckles were bleeding. Uh, he was just so tough, so old school. So I really, really, really appreciated seeing that. There were other guys too. You know, Ronaldo. Oh, sure. was, Energized guy over there. are always going to be guys. It's not like the whole league's gone soft. It hasn't. There's still some really competitive guys in the, in the NHL. But I think it's the accountability as your teammate uh, to bring to suck guys out of their comfort zone more so. That happened in, in the in as you say the pre 2005 2006. Yeah, no, I agree, and I, and I think there's a you know. Uh, there's a, there's 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 a way we can bring both those worlds together where you don't you know it doesn't have to be like necessarily you know when you have five heavyweights on a team and, and I just think there's a better version of of today like you said the accountability I always go back to accountability because to your exact point it's it's just mm-hmm. it breeds it breeds respect and mutual respect for the opponent mutual respect for your teammate and then again for your own personal satisfaction it, it does help with personal growth like you stood up for something bigger than you or you know what I mean it was whatever the situation was but to me now it's just you know whether you're uh, you know just a skilled player or whatnot you have the ability to hide behind the the rules and you can just go on special teams and then you kind of 
you just you, you have the ability to just kind of avoid that confrontation where you know like you said like back in the day it was like no you can't avoid that you got to deal with it and then we'll move on with yeah. the game you know and i think that's a powerful it's a powerful energy i mean the the, the energy of accountability is, is is super super powerful and and most people don't understand it but i think now there's more cheap shots there's more injuries i understand guys are going faster than than ever and they're bigger and stronger more explosive but you got to be able to defend you, you know, and protect your, your players to some degree. I get it. It's not Broad Street Bullies, but there's got to be a little bit more of a, a hybridized version of that. Do you agree? Or? I, I, I don't think there's any single guy that, that played a lot of minutes in a position, whether it's a top pair defenseman or Johnny LeClaire or Michael Renner, anybody, those level guys that would play big minutes or your power play guys, that wouldn't tell you the job that you did or Brownie or any of the other tough guys I played with here over the years. Derek, you've seen a million of them through years. They're always the best guy on the team, always. And they're the guys that I appreciated the most uh, for what they did. That's a brutal job. It really is. And I felt every time, you know, that, that something happened. you got to be there for your teammates. That's the one reason why I think a fight's a good thing if you're going in to defend a teammate. Right. I tell my kids, that my girls are basketball players, my son's a 14-year-old hockey player. I said, you know what, I don't care about all the skill. It's great to have it. Just compete. Compete yep. as hard as you can. And when you get that opportunity for two hours, uh, you know, Go out and play your ass off. Have fun, but compete. And it's always better like that than just going through the motions. And you know what, guys? I'm not going to lie. Far too many nights I see I see too many teams and games, especially through this pandemic, uh, just going through the motions to not get hurt, to play, you know, safe. Uh, it's okay to get run over sometimes, to lay a good, clean check. You know, I don't think we're all going to go crazy. But every, something gets hit now, and it's all like everyone goes nuts. It's like, yep. oh, my God, he hit him. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, dog, t- t- a little bit. You you kind of brought it up. Uh, walk, you know, walking in your first year into the locker room, and then and then that trade Clark you made. Uh, um, I mean, Mark Recchi, like what a player, what a, what a guy. I mean, unbelievable guy. But it makes that trade. Eric Desjardins, Rico Desjardins, like what a player, man. And he he ends up on the team and along with Johnny. But I'm I'm bringing him up because of playing defense and uh, you know you you being with him. You know, you know, it's an interesting story how I got to play with with Rico, uh, Eric. I'll call him Rico because we only know him as Rico. Yeah, <laughs> fans we know him as Eric Desjardins, but we just know him as Rico. Um, my first two years, I, I played a lot with Yuskevich. Uh, my first year, uh, there was only forty eight games. Uh, Rico came like I think after the fourth or fifth game, so he he had played with Kevin Howler in Montreal before. Yeah, so Kevin Howler and him were a pair. The next year. Uh, Clark, he actually had some notion in his head that I might be more offensive than I'd shown. And I, your I second year, hey, your second year in Providence, you put some sick numbers up, bro. Yeah, I had more than a point a game, and yeah, I, was, <laughs> I was on the in power. college. That's yeah. as a D man. Yeah, as a yeah, D man. You know I was known as a guy that was not a great defensive defenseman coming out of college or on the Olympic team. I was just a good skating guy, could make good plays offensively. I had a pretty good skill for big, and I had good feet. You can skate. Uh, you know, for a man your size, you're a really good skater. Um, so that, you know, I played that. But when I got in this league, I realized if I was going to if I was gonna last and, and I was going to be an integral part of, a, of anybody's franchise moving forward, especially the Flyers, I had to be really good in my own zone and be accountable defensively. So did I take a little bit off offensively? I did, probably. I mean, I wasn't certainly getting up the ice the way I once did. And I think slowly through my career, I transitioned into more a totally defensive guy. But um, – my third year is what changed uh, everything. It was a 96-97 season. 
I played like I, I think the stats, I played like 155 games straight or something for the team since my uh, since I came into the league. And then around Christmas time, uh, Terry Murray came to me on the bench, and I played a game in Ottawa. It was actually in my hometown in Ottawa, uh, and I, I let up. I made a soft play. It was it was not a good play. It was at the end of the game, and uh, they they won the game. And Terry kept me on the plane after and said, uh, "We're going to give you the night off tomorrow. We've had a couple, you know, a little bit of a rough week. It's not a punishment. We want to get you back up to uh, uh, back up to speed and get you, you know, watching a little bit more from the stands for a couple of games. And anyway, it lasted nine games through about fifteen of the Flyers games. While <laughs> while I was there, I had to deal with four shutouts while I was out of the lineup. <laughs> And I, I can't believe I don't remember this. It's dude, I, I was like, I'm not oh, gonna man. lie. Like I, 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 they bagged me so hard. Brownie was now an assistant coach, and Keith Acton was assistant. I oh, looked right. at them in the middle, I, I, like they were skating me so hard after practice. I said, Boys, I'm gonna crap myself, and I had to run back into the locker room, and I surely almost did. That's what they were doing to me. But what happened was, is that my attitude is the, as bad as I felt at the time about where my career was. My dad was like, "What's going on?" I said, "I don't know." But that was the point in your life and your career where I said, okay, you know what? I'm at the fork. I'm at the fork in the road, which mm-hmm. every player goes through, I think, sure. unless you're a star talent. Uh, and I and I took I took the, the road that I needed to take. You know, I, I came in determined. And um, when I came out of that nine game, nine games out of like 14 or 15, uh, I played about a week after that with, uh, I'm not sure who the defenseman was at the time. But Terry Murray called me in and he said, I don't know what you did or what you didn't do, but you're a different player. And you've earned the rights to play with Desjardins. So I'm thinking to myself, holy Jesus. The <laughs> turn of events. <laughs> you're talking about going from the doghouse or the outhouse to the doghouse to right. the doghouse back up to the penthouse. Now I'm going to the penthouse. I'm not even in the outhouse <laughs> anymore. But that, and when I started playing with Desjardins, uh, it was just like chemistry that was just unbelievable. And, uh, you know, uh, he, he was – he was an easygoing guy. I was, you know, I was kind of the louder guy. But you know, we played almost a decade together. Uh, big minutes for this team. Minutes, um, just a, you know, you guys, just a tremendous human being. Oh man, an awesome guy. Standing hockey player. I mean, I can't tell you enough how good this guy is. I think you know, but uh, I felt very fortunate to have been there. You know, people said said to me sometimes, "Well, you play with Desjardins. Yeah, you had to. You had to." Earn that right. Any- yeah, he earned that right to play with yeah. So, you know, every time I kind of wonder about what kind of career I had, I, I that's kind of my own like little test to myself. Say, I, I played with one of the best defensemen in the league for almost a decade as my partner. Um, he loved playing with me. He used to say, you know, I like playing with you because you always want the puck, and that's a good thing. Um, instead of one guy having to handle it all the time, we had great chemistry. Um, that year in '97, I mean, we went on to have a dynamic uh, playoff run that year. I think I was. Second in the league and plus minus at the end of it. I was leading going into the finals, uh, and it just wasn't in the cards for us. We lost to Detroit. Yeah, they weren't bad. Yeah, right. They were a pretty, pretty decent team. <laughs> <laughs> Not now, what bad. A, what a what a, a lesson for say well anybody, but for for young for young hockey players, hey, because it's like adversity is inevitable. It's just how are you going to deal with it, right? I mean, the fork in the road happens a lot more often than you think, you know, and. It, it, does and it's how you respond to how it, you right? Respond. How you deal with that adversity? You know what? And I'm not going to lie, guys. There's not always, you know, uh, not every day in this world we deal with adversity the right way. Uh, oh, sure. You know, I was watching my daughter's game earlier in basketball. She fouled out. She threw the clipboard after. Uh, 
You're like, and yes. you know what? He called me after the game really upset. And uh, so I'm probably going to get suspended. But, you know, I mean, again, I don't like that kind of stuff. But at least there's a little bit of, you know, there's a little bit of piss and vinegar. Yeah, exactly. That's... That struggled this year. Uh, but, you know, again, that's that's girls basketball. And I told her, uh, you know, don't worry about it. We yeah. don't always do the right things, but uh, we try. I yeah. think I think genuinely everybody tries. For sure. Yeah. I mean, and, yeah, everyone gets frustrated now and then. And, yeah, you know, sports are emotional, you know whether you're playing basketball or hockey or any of these team sports. I mean, everyone's been there, and it's a, it's a, it's a learning experience, right? I mean, she probably reflects on it and says, well, maybe maybe I overreacted and should have dealt with it differently. And next time, you just deal with it was differently. Was it Ava or Izzy? No, it was Izzy. Izzy. I mean, I'm not going to lie. They're 0-10 now. Uh, they were winning the game. Oh, really? Yeah, they've had it. And she's a it's great player. The problem is it's just a chemistry thing. You can tell they lose every game by three or four points. It's unbelievable. So she got fouled out with two minutes left. They were down by like four, and she came back pissed off and threw the clipboard yeah. right against the wall. And it was a national TV game. Oh, <laughs> uh, so, again, well, hey. that's, that's a great lesson because you guys have kids, right? That's yep. my kid. All right. I'm not happy about it, but at least, you know, at least I look at it like that's you're going to regret doing it, but at least you're showing a little bit of fire, too. Oh, I yeah, exactly. Yeah. 100%. I've done stupider I, things, you know, when you know well, we're losing end of games well, and stuff like that. Just like it, it's, it's just like, it, it, you know, it's like no one likes to lose. And you're losing. I, I didn't know it was zero and ten. She was zero and ten there, but yeah, I mean, there's something's about to, something's about to bust open, you know, and and you lose, you get frustrated. It's just the way way it goes, you know. But uh, it, it, it yeah, could um, it could be a lot worse. Yeah, it's, uh, I was going to bring them up. Actually, your your three daughters, uh, not to leave Christopher out, <clears throat> but the three the girls, uh, hell of ba- hell of basketball players. All three of them. Uh, Lexis, she signed with Boston University, right? She she did. Yeah, so she'll be going there next year. Next, yeah, after. She signed her uh, national letter of intent back in the early spring and uh, uh, of twenty twenty, and then the girls, uh, you know. Luckily enough, Izzy went committed to Loyola, and then you know I thought it was a perfect fit when when they asked Ava. Ava's there too, so yeah, I got that's two great. College together, two hours away. It was great last week. You know they had a day off of practice. They practiced in like you know mid afternoon, and uh, you know I put a picture up. They just came home to see us for the night because they had the next day off, and I thought you know that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. I don't think Alex is very happy about that because she's realizing now that you can't just jump in a car from Boston and head home in uh, a couple hours. <laughs> yeah, right. So, it's different coming from Baltimore than it is coming from Boston. Yeah, so they're all ba- they're all basketball players, and you know what? Like, I don't know how. That's why I was I was joke. I said I'm a I do men's hockey and girls basketball, and that's pretty much my my stuff. Well, as you said, Chris is a you know just a little player. He plays around here. And, and well, that's not he's not little. Yeah, he's like six two, but he's 14. <laughs> he's fourteen. He's fourteen. You know, and again, you know, it's fun. I don't know if hockey's his thing. You know, I, it might be football. I don't know, but uh, oh. you know, as, as long as he's happy and uh, and he is, seems like a happy kid every day, and that to me is the most important thing. And, and the girls are too. Even when she threw the clipboard, she still was happy after the game, and and I think that's all it, it, it matters. Right. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, uh, Bundy. I, I know. Uh, I, I know you've dealt with some substance abuse issues, and uh, I wanted to, you know, to say as we jump into that conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, observing the, you know, say the culture of hockey off the ice. You know, back in your era, and then you know the culture of hockey now. I mean, it, it's. I, I've noticed that it's evolved quite a bit. Um, and in saying that, like you know, you go from a. A culture is just around, you know, you know, absolute drinking and beers after games every time. And, and, and I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but I think it has obviously bred a ton of substance abuse issues. But I think like the 
the the modern player is a lot more mindful than than maybe we were back in the day as far as how we self-medicate or how we manage the daily grind of life and sports and recovery you want to talk to that because i know you've uh had uh you know some struggles with that but in saying that you've uh, you've you've turned uh turned your life around and you're doing some amazing things my, my entire journey you know i think had, had in life had come to this point of where i'm at and i'll tell you guys a story but uh you know i played my last year was 2005 2006 and i had a clear uh and present um uh, uh, affection for alcohol by that time i think it started during the lockout in 2004 it was just it was bad uh, i probably shouldn't have been playing but you know I, again you know early in my career up until like 2000 i was kind of a you know i'd go out i'd go hard like anybody but then you know as, as anyone knows with alcoholism or drugs it's a, you know especially alcoholism it's a fatal and progressive disease it will only get worse unless you handle it uh and i found myself in in 2005 2006 uh in one of the worst places I'd ever been in my life. And, and how did that end? I, I, uh, I was drinking a lot. I was on the, the I was basically on a vodka wagon. Um, and, uh, because, you know, beer was too heavy and I wasn't even eating anymore. And I got a concussion, uh, in early January. It's amazing things people don't know. And you know what? I, I had a terrible year even with the fans. Like they were booing me. They should have been booing me. Uh, they really should have, if they knew like that was going on. I, I, I looked at it at the time and saying to myself, you know, like, you're playing like shit, and it's probably because you're drinking. So oh, yeah, much. it's hard to perform at a high level when you're living that hard, you know? It is. And, you know, and, and I, the one thing with me that I, I'd always had and I'd always thought was, man, I hate this. Yeah. Like, I don't like living like this. There's nothing fun about it. The fun was long gone probably three years before. And uh, when the 2004 lockout came, it was almost like the pandemic for guys that had a little bit of some money in their bank accounts, and you're told you're not going to play hockey this year. So, you know, what do you do? Yeah. And I'm telling you, I know one thing, that, that lockout caused a lot of personal problems for a lot of guys in the National Hockey League back in 04. It, it certainly was my uh, uh, springboard into full alcoholism. Um, and then by 2006, I, I, I went behind the net in the Rangers uh, afternoon game, the last game I ever played, and I went back to get a puck and my head, hit uh, Chico, Robert Esch's uh, shoulder pad. I went down, I was kind of blurry. And I went back. I was sick as a dog for like a week, an entire week. I had clearly had a concussion. Uh, and instead of really handling it, uh, my, my alcohol, I started drinking with the concussion and I was just long gone by then. So I couldn't even, I didn't even know how to make, uh, you know, a step to say, here, I got to come back or I want to try to come back. I didn't even know how because I didn't even know after that if it was a concussion or alcohol. Right. I a little bit of both, you know. So that's where I was at. And then, uh, you know, to get the real cherry on top was, um, in June of 2006, uh, my only sibling, who at the time, I'll be honest with you, wanted me more than anything to get to get help and get sober. You know, she was. We talked about it probably six months before that, and uh, she died. She died of a, a sudden cardiac death in uh, uh, June uh, 17th of 2006, and she was on a life support for a week. And uh, the worst, worst two weeks of my life. Uh, I don't think there's ever anything worse than that. Uh, when I got home to Canada in uh, early July, uh, I called the league, uh, Dr. Sean. I said, I got to get help. Uh, I'd actually called them before my sister's incident happened. And I said, you're not going to believe this, uh, but this happened to my sister. We're not sure her status until she did pass a few days later. And I remember the doc saying, don't stop drinking uh, because, you know, you can you try to be a hero sometimes. You can get yourself in a worse case with, with, with withdrawal. Withdrawal, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, the DT stuff that come with it. Uh, and so 
uh, two weeks after she passed, I was in a, um, I was in a, a 30 day, uh, you know, detox and rehab facility up in, you know, Karen, uh, which is in, uh, just up in Reading area. Mm-hmm. Um, I came out of there and I got, uh, you know, I got a couple of years, you know, I was first time I felt like kind of relieved, but I wasn't really living like a life where I just was, I was just abstaining from drinking. I wasn't really living. Right. And I think you hear that a lot. And, sure. You know, I'm not a guy like, I'm not a guy who, uh, is pushy. You know, if somebody calls it, I, I you know, I don't care if you drink or whatever, you come over, if you're here, you're welcome to, but I'll talk, I'll get to why that's okay now. Um, I, I went two years and I, I started doing some flyers work. I did some pre and post game and I really felt like, you know, I'm focused here. Uh, and in the summer, a couple of years later, I ended up going off on a bender again. And uh, uh, that happened a few times through my time. I always, I, I separated from the work I was doing. I was only doing radio at that time. And uh, I was pretty good about it in terms of, you know, trying to stay, everybody knew that I had a problem. So they're always watching. And I said, I'm just not, I don't want to deal with this. You know, the, the, the last time I took a drink, you know, was that day. I, I And the reasons for it, um, I have amazing kids. I did it for my, I wanted to do, I did not want my kids to be burdened by a drunk. There's right. no way. I didn't want kids, I didn't want to bring kids on this earth or on this planet for them to have to deal with a father who was a drinker. There's no way. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I got right into the program. You know, I went there, I'd get up at 6.30 in the morning every single day for 100 days. Wow. And uh, Flyers games or not, tired or not, didn't matter. I made, I, I put the work in and that culminated to 10 years, you know, and, and, and the rewards are some of the things we've already talked about for it. You know, uh, my three daughters, uh, they, they love their daddy. You know, I mean, that's that's what you want. You know, you all want the same thing. Derek, you got daughters yeah. in your 20s. Dude, I mean, Riley, you got your younger ones, but... You know, that's what you want. You want your kids. You know, I think I'd lost so much self-respect for myself. Uh, so I had so much animosity towards me and so much hatred. And like, I felt like I failed, failed people, uh, failed myself. And, and that really wasn't true. I just had a drinking problem. Right. Uh, you know, I remember, I remember uh, Diana, my wife was saying to uh, Bob Clark had called her in 2006. And he said, I'm really concerned. Like I'm beyond just saying stop drinking. I'm really concerned with Chris. And, you know, he said to her, he goes, would you, uh, would you treat him any differently if he had cancer? Cause that's really what you end up dealing with, with addiction, uh, is, is an ailment, you know, and you get a chance to, to right that wrong or not, I don't call it a wrong. It's literally, it's a disease yeah. um, and it's a family disease. And, and, uh, I feel truly blessed that I got 10 years. So what did I do with it? Well, after the hockey situation changes here for the last three years, I think Derek, you knew this, I've been trying to open a facility in Philadelphia, and it had to be in Philadelphia. There's no, it was never going to happen anywhere else uh, as my give back to the Delaware Valley. I mean, I think this is the most important thing I've ever done. Uh, I'm now the owner at Limitless Recovery Center in Fishtown. Um, we are an Amazing. aftercare, so we can hold up to as many as 50, 60 people in the facility. We're getting a new building right now. Uh, I bought, um, I had a friend come in and uh, we, we got it together. Uh, we we uh, we retained uh, our former the former employee that kind of ran the business. So uh, you know when I get a call now, uh, this is going to be this is really important to me. You know I get a chance now to, to stretch my arm and let people know it's okay. You know I've been to hell, I've been back from hell, um, and I'm telling you there's a better life ahead of you. You don't ever have to feel like that again. And that's the message I'm trying to get out to people in this area, whether it's mental health, addiction gambling uh there's a lot of things people that have little different quirks and things that, that maybe works maybe doesn't work but for me uh, at limitless you know if somebody calls me and says hey uh you know i've been on a bender and, and i need to be detoxed 
because we're an aftercare facility, we will get you to a detox, we'll get you to the rehab. And then if you're close enough inside the city, uh, we'll get you to us for aftercare at Limitless. And that's, that's really the best thing, best feeling for me is to, uh, you know, again, to be able to help that person because I suffered I, you know, for that two years, guys, like it was just, it was as bad as it was. And uh, it was as bad as it could possibly be for me. So, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I consider myself in many ways a miracle. I really do. 100%. People don't say it because you know, people survive cancer. But, you know, I'm an, I'll, I'll tell you the, the rehab story. Um, when I checked into Karen, I mean, this is, tells you how sick I was. Um, when I went into Karen, I had blow and they give you the breathalyzer. And uh, Dr. Shaw from the league was on with them with the admissions at Karen. And I blew a point six three. Wow. <laughs> They're like, uh, so the guy, the, the, the lady's like kind of looking at me like. <laughs> Why are you standing? Uh, she, she goes, Can you hold on a second? <laughs> Sorry. She goes, I got it. She goes back, gets the phone, brings Dr. Shaw back onto the phone. I hear him on the speaker. She goes, this is what uh, your client was at. He goes, yeah, I know. I'm not surprised to get another machine and just do it again. Blew in it again. Exact same. Number. Wow. So, you know, again, to, to get to that kind of level. Of, oh, you know, yeah. they say when people get to a point three five, you're just dead. I was at a point six three, and they said that's the highest level of alcoholism, uh, highest blood level of alcoholism they'd had in fifty years. Wow! Since they were open, that's insane. Um, it, crazy, and 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 I was, you know, I was talking like I am with you right now, functioning, uh, functioning completely. Like if a cop pulled me over and they had like an instant breathalyzer, like you're sticking your mouth and blow, he'd be like. Uh, must be something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I have. I mean, I have a million stories, or you know, I don't. I don't look back at my past as as something that uh, you know I want. I want to put in the closet. I don't. I had a, so many great times. I mean, you know, even earlier. I mean, I. You know, we're partiers. You know, guys, you play in that league, you come up in that, and and I don't regret any of that. I'm not putting any of those experiences I had uh, on the back burner and make them go away because uh, that's what shaped my journey. That's what right. made me who I am today. So. Uh, I, I do consider, you know, I, I said, uh, you know, playing in the NHL and in, in a city like Philadelphia, you know, like the last 12 years in a city like this, I've seen a lot of guys come close. It's tough, man. The fans are tough on you uh, when, when you're not playing well. And there's times That's I it. didn't deserve, but I also see people say, oh, you got booed when I, yeah, but I also got like a standing ovation every time I ran Yager through the boards or some other good yeah. player. So, you know, I love Philadelphia sports. I love, I'm an Eagles season ticket holder, uh, and I certainly appreciate it. But my, my, my biggest accomplishment is certainly now uh, uh, limitless recovery uh, because I think that, uh, as I said before to people, uh, this is more important for me than any other ho- than any other hockey game in the world could ever be. You know, you're dealing with lives, and, and, and I know just from my experience how positive it's been for me and the people around me. I forge better friendships. I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not an asshole anymore. You know. I well, I am sometimes, but uh, you know what I mean. I just, <laughs> I just you know, I just, I just, I just leave. I, nothing much has changed, right? You guys, Derek, can you remember me as a guy? Oh, I mean, I, oh well, yeah. You see me the last ten years. I mean, I'm still the same voice. I, I mean, nothing much has changed. I just don't drink anymore. Yeah. You, I, one of the one of the things, uh, Bundy, I was I was gonna say is, um, <clears throat> you when you stopped when you had, had you know stopped drinking and everything. It's got to be tough. I, I don't know what I can't pretend, but you gained a lot of weight, and then man, did you work your ass off and, and lose it? I remember you telling me like I kept see, you know, I saw you obviously all the time. I'd be like, holy shit, man, did you lose weight. It's hard yeah. when you see someone every day, but I was noticing I every week. I'm like, did you lose more weight? Yeah. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, you'd lost, you know. So I, 
first, however much it was, 70 pounds, 80 pounds, something. My first year of TV, I came back one day and I looked at myself in the mirror near the end of the year. I said, oh, my God. Like, I, And what happens is when you stop drinking, you go on a sugar belt, right? right. You oh, yeah. start eating you're a lot of your sugars and stuff. And I put weight on it. I mean, I could eat. I was drinking like 12 sodas a day sometimes. That's not uncommon. You'll hear a lot of addicts say how much they go after the sugar. Uh, but I, I had enough. And that was kind of the five-year mark of my sobriety. And I said, you know what? It's time to change how you look now. So I, I started crawling and then walking and then running. And, and I ended up going from 325 to, the, you know, this is kind of sick, to 207. Wow. Which, I mean, I look like, uh, you know, if you threw me out of a tree, I would have, like, floated down. Like, <laughs> um, but... You know, again, that that's just the radical, and I think that I think that probably describes a hockey player guys probably better than anybody, right? There's like no, it's either all yeah. in or you know the motor goes off. Yep. And I think that was another probably, uh, you know, storyline of my existence. You know, I went from that, but when I went into camp that year, I think I'd lost at the time uh, 92 pounds. Yeah. When I went in, so I was like two, you know, 231, and that me at 231, I actually have abs again, which is. I don't have now, but I had them again, and I wanted to make sure I did because I'm not sure how long I've been since I actually had them. <laughs> that was important, you know, and again, that was another thing. You know, when I looked at my kids, I wanted them to see me working. I wanted them to see me pushing myself, even at, like, 44 years old, to say, hey, you know, Dad's out there pushing his ass. He's soaking wet. He's working. And, and I always felt like, you know, exercising. Riley, I know you're, what, how much health means to you and, and, and what you're doing. I just felt like it was a great example to leave my kids, you know, just let them see me work and they'll never forget that. I, I know I used to remember my dad used to run when I was a kid. I still remember that now. It was still something that was impactful on me. And I ended up being, you know, a runner, I think, because of my dad. Yeah. Well, it's, show, it's showing your, your children, um, you know, self-care, right? I mean, it's like if you just kind of like stayed the same and you're not showing any growth or any change, then you know, what, what lesson is that for them, you know? And uh, I wanted yeah. to mention your, you know, what, what I what I find fascinating about your approach to limitless uh, recovery centers is um, is that even though you've gone through the traditional AA program, you're you're more you're a little bit more progressive in your thinking, where you you see the value of you know say products, CBD products, or you know THC cannabis based products um, in conjunction with you know withdrawal as well as app actual like you know back end recovery as far as you know managing inflammation and pain because yep. god knows i mean I, I guess i was somewhat blessed in the sense that i i i had the ability to you know obviously choose which path i was going to go down and i say i avoided a traditional substance abuse program by leaning on these tools just based on a, a gut feeling and intuition and whatnot but um uh, everyone's managing pain and inflammation, and, and I, I saw that you almost have to be a Buddhist monk to be able to, to you know, to withstand, um, you know, the, the, these programs, which most people don't have that discipline quite yet. That's something to work towards. But I just think I just think what you're doing um, is very progressive. You know, it, the the substance abuse world is evolving, um, and you're seeing this new type of hybridized model of you know when you say um sobriety what what does that really mean and you know what i mean and defining that and comparing it to other substances but i, I do appreciate that you're you, you're you're opening you've opened your mind to the, this these possibilities of actually using these other tools in conjunction with um, um with, with sobriety and but obviously under the context of them being you know mindfully used and you know with intention i think that's always you know the most important piece right. is how you're using them 
um, because I know a lot of these substance abuse programs still don't. So you want to talk to that a little bit and maybe your experience with it? Well, there, there is a little bit of a changing of the guard in, in the community. I mean, in, you know, I think in the last 25 years, the Percocet problem has become um, a heroin problem. It's right. the same thing, right? right. The guys that go up and get their pills uh, would then end up getting, you know, it's the, it, running themselves into major problems where you'd have to go into recovery for the painkillers. So, yep. you know, we saw it happen. It's happened to numerous athletes over the years. Sure. I mean, it's it's kind of a pick your poison. But I will say one thing, Riley, uh, you know, with treatment now, there is a, an influx, and it is coming, where THC is becoming more prevalent in the recovery community, uh, CBD as well. It's, it's calming. It's calming substance for people. So right. we're not using it yet. But there might be a time in six months or a year or whenever where people say, hey, you know what, this is kind of becoming the new thing. I, I mean, in terms of where they're at with that, if, if you have a little pain, you don't need a Percocet. You're better so, off smoking a joint. I, I'm serious when I say that. 100%. And they talk about a gateway drug. You know, when you talk about gateway drugs, uh, you know, I, I don't see it like that. I don't see it like that. I see it like if kids are getting illegal drugs, unfortunately, most of the time their dealer probably ends up having – heroin on them as well right so there's a vicious vicious cycle the problem with alcohol is it's on every corner right like you just drive up in your car and it's sitting there and what? everyone no one yeah. no one's any uh uh you know worse for looking at you differently because yeah. you're, you're you're drinking like, oh this guy going to a liquor store but you know someone goes into camden and you know i hear guys i hear the stories all the time of people buying heroin and yeah it's crazy yeah. it's it's it, that's never been my thing you know, I tell my, you know, I wrote, I was raised, you know, like, like Canadian, typical Canadian. Drugs are really, really bad, but you can drink. And, right, and right, that's yeah. Part of, and, and that's the world we're, we're living in, right? And, and the unfortunate yeah. thing is alcohol is very physically dependent. It, it, you know, I mean, it, it really does, ro- say, down the road, rob you of your spirit somewhere where, you know, you can actually yeah. die from physical withdrawal. I mean, you know, from actually going through withdrawal, um, which is no other drug you can, which is... Uh, hard to wrap your head around, but um, um, you know it's 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 nice to see that you're 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 open to that that new world. And when I asked you earlier, kind of teed up the the, the conversation around substance abuse. I feel like the modern day NHL player is so much more in tune with their body. There's less and less drinking, and there's so much focus on recovery and taking care of their body. These guys are like Greek gods, and they invest so much time and effort and money into them being high level elite athletes um that they, they, you know that, that you, your your, por- your performance can't go up and down i think you've seen that traditionally over the years why can't that guy can't be consistent as well because he's drinking he's not drinking he's drinking i think most of these guys now whether it's cbd products or or or, or some sort of uh, you know cannabis-based thc product they're they're they more guys are using these again mindfully and intentionally for recovery than you know going after a game and mindlessly going and getting shit-faced you know what I mean? I think the culture, the the, the 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 philosophy has changed a little bit. Yes, they're still drinking, but I think the guys are a little bit more in tune, and and therefore I think you'll see over time less addiction, because they're you know what I mean? It's like they're using they're just they're just uh, using a different type of tool. Like they always said, the booze is a fuse, and uh, that's usually what ends up happening. You know, it, 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 I mean, I've seen more trouble, guys. No no joke, come from alcoholism than any other drug. For sure. At the end of the day. Yep. Um, you know, my, my message, again, I'm just saying with, with Limitless is, yes, we have a care facility, but I also, by talking to you guys, by talking to people in general in the Philadelphia, in the Delaware Valley, this is a Delaware Valley uh, experience. So if you're struggling in this area, I want to be that guy. But I want to erase the stigma of, mm-hmm. of, of addiction. 
You know, I'm, I was once a piece of shit. You know, I looked at myself like that. I did. I ha- and I have to remember that to understand that I, how far I've come. Uh, but if you're there, I mean, you're going to feel down on yourself. You're going to feel like, you know, something's hurting. It's okay. Right. It's okay. You know, that's, that's what I want you to know. I've been there. There's a lot of other people that have been there. Um, and I honest to God, guys, like when I tell people this, I'm more sincere with this than any other thing I tell people. If I got sober, you can get sober. Mm-hmm. I promise you that. 0.63. That is heavy metal stuff right there. And yeah. I'm not, it's not a fighting thing. No, for sure. I'm just saying my level is at. And if I got it, then you can get it. I hate when people say, oh, this or this or that. No. If you want to get it, you'll get it. Yeah, well, that's I it. I promise you that. And that's one thing I'll tell any addict or alcoholic or someone with dealing with mental health. We have a mental health program as well. Stick with it. Just yeah. stick with it. I promise you it's going to be okay if you want it bad enough. And and life doesn't change. It only gets better. Yeah. Well, that's the key right there, right? It's like how, how bad do you want it and how much are you willing to commit to fixing it? You know, because you said all you hear is excuses usually, whether it's drinking or eat, overeating or this or that. Um, but yeah. at some point, you got you to gotta, – acknowledge you got a problem and, and make and make a choice you know whether you're going to choose to live or you know essentially die unfortunately um, but i like what you're doing with like the mental health stuff because obviously substance abuse it runs parallel to mental health right i mean um you know there's a lack of self-love or however you want to spin it you know what i mean there's not enough nourishing that and then you're self-medicating with this and you're you know what i mean you're um, but you know, I think pre- prevention, you know, the really actually providing positive resources. We talked about this offline, you know, in- having people engage in, you know, more positive daily behaviors, whether it's, you know, yoga, I mean, mindful movement, you know, just kind of getting them away from these, you know, these, uh, maybe these, ne- these negative behaviors. And then, you know, again, going back to like the THC and, and CBD, it's at the end of the day, I think it's about drug diversion. We're trying to get people out of the thinking that we have to, we have to lean on that to manage our physical or emotional pain. It's like, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. everyone's got pain and, and some sort of trauma. You know what I mean? I think we're all somewhat traumatized in some way, shape, or form. Um, but yeah. how, do you, how do you manage that? And I think it's like you're, you're dealing with the, the, the aftercare, um, but then I think you're also focusing on, like, the prevention too. It's like, you know, you're having these honest conversations of how, how do we raise mentally well children? You know what I mean? How do we change this paradigm? Because if we just keep going with it, we're just going to have more and more rehab facilities. You know what I mean? That's not the solution. You have to have them, um, but it's like getting ahead of it. It's, 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 that's the fine line, right? Yeah. You know, it's how do you keep your kids safe? How do you keep them away from these issues that people are dealing with? You know, and I mean, the last year, I mean, to tell you guys, I mean, the numbers are staggering mm. in the last year with the rise of, you know, just alcohol alone. Um, because it's it's an easier thing. I mean, it's a necessary business that uh, has to stay open. But again, for kids, you know, that's the biggest thing. You know, I, I always tell them, you know, like, you can do what you want. You can do whatever you want. You're, you're, it's your right to experience life and to go through it. Uh, but again, you know, just I always tell kids, be careful. Just be careful out there. You know, uh, it's really funny, too. When you talk about a drug like heroin, you know, like 25 years ago, people used to say, well, you know, heroin was actually heroin at one time. Right now, it's got there's got stuff mixed in it now. Fentanyl you do and whatever else, yeah. Oh, I know. You could die like on the spot. Yeah. So you know you got guys going around with Narcan, or you know the poor cops are they're doing this stuff, and I've seen it. Like I've seen it down on the streets. It's it's hardcore, and it's nothing. Nothing crushes me more 
Uh, then when I hear a story about a youth or a kid in high, a high school kid that's that yeah. died of an overdose, terrible. Uh, it's it's the absolute worst because my own journey was all about my kids and their happiness and them them succeeding. So when I see that, I know that devastation that those parents are going to go through, and uh, it's 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 sad. Uh, unfortunately, it's an epidemic. It is uh, addiction, especially with drugs and alcohol. Uh, and, and, and really until we come, become more aware of it, more people speak out, more people have, an issue, have had issues with it uh, to bring it to the forefront, to make it a prevalent thing uh, and let, let people know the dangers of it. But let them also know that if you, you are going through it, you're not alone and, and, and you can get help. You really can. There are people out there who want to put an arm around you, give you a hug and let you know that you're not alone on, the, on this journey at all. Yeah, well, that's super powerful stuff. Um, but, you it, know, it's amazing that you, you know, you were able to function and play, you know, but you, you knew it was, was not right. You know, it wasn't good. It wasn't completely controlled by the substance. It wasn't me. It was, you know, I'm not using it as as an excuse. I mean, that was my, my choice at the time. I'm always accountable to what I did, but, uh, but I was completely controlled uh, uh, by a substance. Yeah, it's wild, and and so many people are. That's a, that's a scary thing. So for as, as many success success stories are, are of of this, like you, there's so many more dark stories. I feel you know what I mean. So we need more of these, well, more of these positive stories. But maybe maybe over time we can reduce the amount of these types of stories. You know what I mean? Again, by getting ahead of it and <clears throat> maybe changing the culture a little bit. But um, Just educating know, people, it's Just education. Them know. Right? Yeah. You know, you may, this might happen to you, and if it does. Yeah. You can you could you control you. That's the one thing I, I tell people. You control what you want to do and who you want to be. That's it. Uh, no matter what. Every day you wake up with that choice. And I chose to be a better person, a better father, a better friend, uh, a better everything to every other person. And I and and you know people always say, well, you know, watch the miracles happen. And I, I've been given nothing. Uh, but gifts since I've done this. And when I'm able to help another person talk, reach out to them, that to me is the greatest gift that I can have is, is just to let them know, like, you know, what, I've been there. I've been there, man, and I got your back. And I think that's really the part of this uh, this journey that I'm about to embark on uh, that uh, is the most meaningful thing to me in my life. You know, I, I take those things I had. I mean, a lot of great parties, a lot of you know, funny stories too, but there's a lot of things that kind of kicked me over the years and I don't, I don't regret anything anymore. I don't have it because I, I was able to change that. And that's the biggest thing. If you can control who you are and uh, be happy in your own skin every day, no matter what, then nothing else matters. Nothing else in the world matters at all. That's the truth. And when you start actually loving yourself and showing yourself some, some self-respect, you're able to, you're able to exude it and get, you know, and, and give it out a lot more, right? I mean, it's hard to it's hard to really give that attention, that love, and all the, and the help and all that stuff when you can't even help yourself. So you fix yourself first, and then you're able to extend that. I think that's I mean, obviously you're doing that within your family, but now uh, with Limitless Recovery Center, which is which is amazing. So props to you, man. You said you know you don't be so hard on yourself. He's like, well, I was a piece of shit. Like you know, everyone goes through their their shit in life. You know what I mean? I think what I'm learning is to be more accepting of of my past and some of the things that i've done you know what i mean not beat myself up you know you call them mistakes or you call them your lack of judgment but i think all you can do is learn from it and, and like like you have and, and move on right i mean there's there's no sense in starting beating yourself up and um look forward brother it's like anything you know forward, you lose yeah. a cup one you're gonna look the training camp you know yeah, move, foot forward but, that's exactly it you know, my good my partner said the other day to me he goes you know it's funny 
as much as people hate or get or rage or get angry at things, it's as easy to love that hard as well, you know, to be able to tell someone, you <laughs> so know, true. to be able to support somebody like that, you know. So, I mean, we've seen a lot of rage over the years, right? We, I mean, it's if you want to talk about a male, there's no more male testosterone place you can go on this planet than an NHL locker room in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. All right. <laughs> That's true. No one. Uh, and, and you guys saw it. Uh, but, you know, again, that was my proudest moment was being able to represent the city uh, to play here and played hard. You know, my teammates would look at me. That's one thing I look at. I think my teammates say, this guy played hard. He came to play. I did. Yeah. I, I don't think I cheated. Mm-hmm. I, wasn't, I wasn't great every night. But I came with the right attitude. And really, Bobby, Mike, you came to play. I came to you play. You always came to play. And, and I think that's the biggest thing. It's like, that's and that's the biggest the thing. I get my, you know, just compete hard, go play, enjoy it. You know, it's supposed to be fun. It's it really be. is. And, and luckily for me, addiction really didn't come in until after the lockout. I was a boozer, but I could stop where it wasn't controlling my life. So it never really afflicted me till, till my last year. And I wish it didn't, but that's life and we move on from it. Yeah, well, lots to learn and yeah, so much, so much to give from it, you know. So, yeah, props, props to you for identifying and, and changing. So you're going to help a lot of people for sure. I wanted to switch gears here a little bit, you know, before we wrap up and maybe get back to a little hockey talk. I know you're 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 a fun guy, you know. You're 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 a little bit of a jokester and prankster. I mean, between yourself and or any teammates, tell us a story about the best the best prank you've seen in your career. There was you. Oh, or... I've seen some good ones. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know you have. <laughs> no, I'm going to tell you this one that was really, really good. Uh, uh, Johnny Leclerc and me were roommates for for uh, almost a decade. So I played with Desjardins for a decade, but I ended up rooming with the other guy they got in the trade. <laughs> boy, did they win that? Boy, did they win that one? Yeah. Right. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so me and Johnny, we get to uh, we're in Washington, and we're coming from the road summer. We played Washington on a Sunday, so I get up to the room really, really quick. And uh, and I grabbed the, the chocolates. You know those bedside chocolates? Like sure. they put on the thing, and I, I unwrapped them, and I pulled Johnny's bed back, the sheet, and I threw them in the bed. <laughs> and I make the bed up again. He's like on the second or third elevator. So Johnny, you know, Johnny's going to sit there after the game. All he wants to do is sit in there and chew and watch TV all night. Fucking so, you should see the lippers this guy would put into it. Right? <laughs> half a fucking can. Oh, yeah. <laughs> half the thing out the here. So, Anyways, he's in there. He's <laughs> guys. I can't. I can't begin to tell you. This might have been the funniest, like one-on-one thing myself. Where I self-laugh. Johnny gets up out of bed to go take a leak or something. He's got fucking chocolate all over his body. <laughs> two like two or three pieces of stuff. I said, "Holy jeez, what a mess!" So what does Johnny do? He gets up and he goes, "Eats." <laughs> oh, it could have been like some guy took a shit in the bed or something. Left it right. He goes, "It's all in his chest." He goes. Oh man, a fucking maid left chocolates in my bed. <laughs> oh man! The last thing I would have done is touch my yeah, tongue. Yeah, the last it. thing I would have done, I man. The old I taste test. I can't believe you did that, Johnny. So I, I've seen, I've done some other goods. My first year, uh, Dave Brown was. Uh, I, I capped with this one. We, my first road trip was in Boston, and Brownie was my first roommate. First roommate on the road in Boston. How tough did you feel? Oh, when you're on the ice with Brownie, you could do anything you want. <laughs> anything. anything you want. Um, so he gets in the room, and I put my 
He goes, I'll get this bed. I'm like, yeah, whatever you want. So he goes, I got a couple of rules. Right now, this is the part with Brown. He's got that, you know, kind of like high voice when he yep. walks. I'm going to tell you something right now, all right? There's no fucking in this room ever. And I'm like, what the hell? I go, Okay. He goes, I've seen shit jump from one bed to another and back and forth all over these rooms. He goes, so it ain't happening because I ain't bringing shit home to my wife. You got it. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Copy that. My, my, uh, go ahead, sir. No, we've had a lot of good stories. I mean, you know, I also had Brownie one time. I went, uh, we got up for a morning skate one day, and I turned the shower on. I showered, got dressed really quick, and turned it back on and left the room. So he still thought I was in there. Uh, he came down and looked crazy. <laughs> I hope he's in a good mood today. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, my God. He, uh, I, quick story about uh, the brown dog there, uh, Dave Brown. My, my dad told me when he first got called up for his first game, uh, with the Flyers way back, Bob McCammon was the coach. Yeah. And, uh, Brownie hadn't seen the ice yet, but he's chirping. And like you said, you, you, if you have never been in front of Dave Brown, this man is massive. He's, his arms are so long. He's just a big human and the, the nicest guy in the world, too. Yeah. I mean, God, I love that man. I've known him since I was a little kid, but, uh, yeah. my dad said one of the best things ever. He's on the bench and he's kind of chirping, but he hasn't gotten out there yet. So someone line comes and lines up, you know, for a face off and he goes, Hey, man. If I ever get out there, I'm going to fucking kill you. And everybody <laughs> turns around and looks at Bob McCammon, and he goes, Brownie, get out there. He had a high voice, too. Brownie, get out there. And the guy's like, yes. And I guess he just, you know, unbelievable fight. I don't even know who he fought, but um, it, that, my dad tells me that story. I, I always laugh. If I ever get out there, I'm going to kill you. But um, one guy, when I remember uh, Carl Dykehouse. So Dyker, you know, was with us that year, the, the first year. <clears throat> And uh, yeah, <laughs> he was great guy. He, you you guys, it was it was comical. And Peter Swoboda would always jump in. He was kind of going to get you to you know playing jokes and everything. But um, <laughs> you, you, but one of the things I'll never forget, and it, I would be surprised if you don't remember. We we took it. We were playing really well. You guys were playing really well, and we took. Uh, they decided to take the team. We played in Washington like on a Wednesday, and we didn't play again until Monday, so they took us to Hilton Head. Yeah. Okay. Well, remember. I know so, <laughs> so when, one thing leads to another. I'm just on the beach with, with uh, Chris and, and uh, Carl Dykehouse, and uh, Bundy says to Dyker. Now, he had red hair, real fair. Obviously, he's ginger, oh, yeah. fair skin, and he's out there. He's got, you know, like, Obviously, it was warm out. It was, I think, it was in March, so it was a little warmer there. So we were, we got our swim trunks on, but we're not in the water. We're just walking. And Bundy says to Dykers, "You, hey, you better, you better throw uh, some sunscreen on, you know." And he goes, uh, "He goes, oh, I did. I put on 60, 60 proof." And he goes, "No, I was thirty proof in the room." And Dykers goes, "Oh, I put it on twice." Yeah. <laughs> and me and Bundy just looked at each other. We're like, "Did he just say that?" He put the thirty on twice and said it was a six. Oh yeah. Yeah. He goes, "Oh yeah, I put it on twice." So we're and me and me and dog just turn and look at each other. Dude, we were crying. We were laughing so hard, man. Diker was uh, Diker lived right across from me at Main Street in Voorhees when I first moved here. We're both rookies together, and he was Diker was a good guy, man. I mean, he's really, really awesome guy. He was, and um, 
I went out and bought one of those little Bose systems. And at the time, it was like three grand, right? Like the top of the line and RF remote. And I was living life. I had a connector around my house. Well, Baker comes over and like an hour later, he goes out and comes back with the same thing I got for his apartment. So for three weeks after, I would come home after a hockey game and I would hit the remote from my balcony and turn on his entire system <laughs> in the house. So for like a month straight, he'd come in the locker room and he'd, and he'd be sitting there in the morning and he'd be getting dressed and find his skates and look up and he'd go, I think my apartment's haunted. <laughs> Tell the defense in the why. corner. And uh, for, for forever. And I'm sitting there going, holy Christ, you got to be kidding me, right? So it went on again. And Peter Sabota, as you said, Derek, when he came in, I mean, they walked back and, and Diker. I had complained now for like the 10th time. He goes, there's a, God, there's a goddamn ghost in my apartment. He goes, there has to be. He goes, my speaker comes on at 3 in the morning. The TV goes on. And Sabota goes, you fucking dumb fuck. He goes, Morgan Bundy goes on the balcony and turns it on every night. And Diker was like this. Huh? How'd you do that? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my God. God, that is classic. Dog. Hey, Bunny, did you play with uh, Shell Samuelson? I did. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, my partner my second year. Like I said, he was a uh, you know big, uh, <laughs> big, big a big yeah, slab was... of granite, big slab of granite, big slab of granite. It was on the back of one of his hockey cards back in the day. They introduced him so as a big slab lot. of granite. Oh, that's a, you know, so good. Yeah, I played with him and I roomed with him. He did, eh? I roomed with him my second year, and then oh, wow. after that, it was all. You got to have a good yeah. uh, Sammy story. Uh, oh, my God. I have, I, have a of, I have a ton of them. And, uh, um, I love Sammy. Would snap, I, I, would I, I, I love Sammy. That's what I'm anything. trying to get one out of you. I'll tell you a great – this is – I'll tell you a well, I had a million of them, but this is a good one. You know, I, I remember they said, you know, always be like a good teammate. You know, as I was talking about, you know, sometimes you have to fight. So one night he gets jumped by Jeff Audgers in San Jose. Oh. Audgers is in San Oh, yeah, Jose. he's a tough, tough dude. Yeah. So oh, he's tough. He's a farm boy from Canada. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. He grabs Sammy, and I'm like, well, I can't let this happen right in front of me. So I go in, and I grab Waters, and I, I take the fight for Sammy. I get kicked out for third man in, and uh, I go back in the locker room, and, and there's only a minute left in the second period. Shell got a penalty, so he was in the box. And Terry Murray comes in where I'm getting dressed and, you know, sitting there. He goes, great fucking job. That's a way to handle it for your teammates. And I was like, thanks, Murph. He goes, ah, it's really good stuff. 30 seconds later, Shell comes around the corner. He goes, you fucking dumb fuck. I, I knew you were going to say that. He goes, I'm not doing any of that. He goes, what are you doing? I'm like, so I'm thinking to myself, like, what am I going to do here? How do I win? I got the coach saying great job, and I got the like the, the 50-year-old defenseman telling me, you dumb. You should me. You fucking dummy. dummy. <laughs> I love when he'd say that. Oh, oh man. And, and He's another guy. Like we're friends to this day. I love Shell Samuelson. Yeah, uh, you know, just a just a great guy. But those are the relationships we had uh, together over the years. Was you know, just just good guys, man. Really good guys. And a lot of it was all in good fun. Sure. But Sammy was that just how competitive he was. Oh know, yeah, he, yeah. Know, he was. He's still he that competitive. Very competitive. Some kid jumped in to take a fight for him, and that's that's what he was thinking. Yeah. So. No, for sure. I remember. I remember seeing like some of those old school like '80s flyer fight videos and. The line brawls and stuff like that. I used to, I because co I coached with Sammy and uh, you know worked with him with the Phantoms and stuff. So I have a good relationship with him. But we'd always bust on him. You know, 
he'd always be like in, in the background of the video, like holding on to someone's shoulders. And he was like, oh, yeah, just riding the bus, just driving the bus, you know, he's just like holding on here. He's like, you never actually engage in a fight. He would just kind of like stand there and, and isolate somebody. But uh, I, I love Sammy. I mean, you talk about intensity. There's, there's not, you're not going to find a guy more intense than Sammy. Uh, I, I don't I, think. You know, <laughs> in- I always uh, tell tell Big Duke. That's what we some of us call him. You know, Sammy right. Big Duke. Uh, Shell. My that first year, uh, we were in. It may have been before that trip. Actually, it, was, it just happened to be in Washington, and uh, I was sharpening some skates, which I had gone to the school to learn during the uh, lockout. When when you, uh, Chris, when you went to Hershey and played those. 30 game, whatever you guys were playing, you know, we, there was nothing going on. So Clarkie, Mr. Clark sent me to that, uh, skate sharpening school, um, maximum edge. And, uh, so I knew what I was doing, but I just didn't do the skates like in front of you guys, just, you know, because I never, you know, no one knew what right. I was doing. I wasn't doing them a lot. I was just doing a few here and there to help out. And, um, <clears throat> he walked in like in the street clothes and, and I'm sharpening his skates. And, uh, you know, I'm, what, I'm 23 at the time, and just, you know, like, I'm all excited. I know how to do skates and this and that, and, and I'm doing a skate. He, he walks up, and he puts his arm on me. He goes, oh, young Derek, who, who, whose skates are those? And Now, you know he knew they were his. Who else had feet? Yeah, you know, size like, 16. 306 <laughs> toques on them, and are maybe even been bigger. But uh, I was like, oh, this is yours. And he goes, Great. And turns and walks away, and I'm like, well, there went my confidence <laughs> right out the window. And I tell him that every time. I always say it in front of his boys, too. And he's like, I didn't do that. That's not what I said. And I said, it's exactly what you did. Told him uh, last year with his son, Matthias, now he's been in the Buffalo organization. I, I, I think he's up, but he, uh, I said to him uh, at a dinner last year, I said, you know what, Shell? If, he, if he's only half as good as you and me, he'll be an all-star. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> So, yeah. kids, uh, kids got still a great skills. guy. Sammy's in the sixties now, so it just shows you yeah. how much time passes and, and flies by. Time does fly. That's one thing. It does. Yeah, it does, man. It certainly does. Well, Bundy, we uh, we appreciate your time, man. I know we're uh, we're about an hour and fifteen minutes here or so, but um, you know, really, really appreciate you know connecting with you and and you know talking talking some shop and hearing from your from your uh you know about your new your your new venture here your passion your passion play so uh you know good on you and look forward to doing more stuff with you in the future here because i think yeah uh, man there's lots to cover i don't want to sound like a grandpa because i'm not but i'm really proud of you two guys i mean i played with you i love you you both know that great teammates forever and uh you know i know every time i get to see both of you, there's always nothing but kind words and funny stories that come along with it so uh, you're doing great things. We'll see what the future brings, guys. But thank you so much for having me on. And uh, uh, yeah, you know, life life is a life is a highway. I want to try truth. to ride it all night long. But that's right, baby. <laughs> that's the truth, Tom Cochran. <laughs> that's right, Tom Cochran. Well, appreciate it, Bundy. We'll talk you to you soon. Guys. Thanks, brother, man. That interview was brought to you by Settlemeyer Skate Sharpening for. The best sharpen in town and all your hockey needs, visit SettleMeyerSkateSharpening.com and Body Check Wellness for all your CBD and functional medicinal mushroom needs. Check out BodyCheckWellness.com. I want to say an awesome and big thanks to 
Chris Terrian for hopping on Nasty Knuckles and and sharing you know, parts of his story and and, and some stories and um, and announcing his new uh, recovery center, Limitless. So appreciate you coming on there, Bundy. Uh, what an awesome guy! Really appreciate the, you know his time and and uh, you know obviously his personality and everything he's poured into it. Yeah, he's a he's a great guy. I mean, I can't believe how we were. I think we kind of touched on it, but. I've known that guy since since '94, man. Like yeah. long time, man. We've been buddies a long time, and you know, you see you see him, and you just think of he's a flyer. You know, he was here forever. Even you know, obviously post career, he only left here one time to play in Dallas, like we kind of touched on there. But yeah. uh, he was awesome, man. He was he's such a funny, witty guy. Um, I know this this uh, one we did. He a couple good stories there, but uh, he really touched on the struggles that he had and, and how hard it was. It was more, you know, on the serious side, but <clears throat> it's, you know, I'm proud that proud of him that, you know, he's able to talk about it because it's, it's not something that's, you know, he's not, I wouldn't say he's ashamed. He said he's not ashamed because it's what it is, what it is. Yep. And, you know, he's fought through it and, you know, his kids were a big reason, you know, he didn't want to let them down. And, and, you know, I think we all feel that way. Anyone that are parents, you know, you don't want to, ever do that so he was just a great guy man a really funny guy and he, you know what he's he played a long time he, he was a good player too i mean i don't know if you know people realize that but he you know he had a good career and like he said playing with eric Tejar, and he was a big man he could skate oh yeah no, I mean, he could he, skate man. sure yeah so. no it's uh it's it's great to see him doing well in life you know at the end of the day it's, it's really what it's all about and uh it takes a lot of courage to to accept and admit that you have a problem and actually do something about it. So he didn't just get sober. He took it a step further, and now he's helping people that are, you know, that are struggling the same way he had um, with their recovery. So, you know, really, uh, really nice to see someone do something so positive with their platform. So, you know, we landed up launching this a day late because he's announced yeah. this today. And, um, and um, you know. Big day for him. It's man. a big day, you know. It's a big, and, big uh, day. So I uh, wish him the best, and we're gonna get him back on for sure, and get really get into, you know, some some stories because you know he's got a lot, man. He's got a you lot. Know, of, I, he's got a lot I, of I I didn't have the balls to, to tell him this, but we were we kind of touched on Carl Dykehouse there. Uh, <laughs> when, you know, Dykers would always come up with some good ones. You know, not trying to be funny, like the you know thirty. Oh no, I put it on twice, so it's sixty proof. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Yeah, I'll never forget as long as I live. But uh, there was a time where. Peter Spoboda was always messing with those two. He was a big-time prankster, and it had been about a week and nothing had happened. I didn't have the balls to say this. Now he's going to hear this. Now he's going to know, but (laughs) I was, like, just being an idiot like I am, and I'm like, nothing's really happened here in the last week. So I took some Vaseline out of the the medical room, (laughs) and I put it all in Pete's helmet. So he was always the last guy going out. And, uh, I'm sitting there acting like I come walking in the room knowing that he's there, you know, acting like I'm just um, straightening yeah. up, grabbing hangers and I'm um, talking to Pete and he's, he's a, he was, he's a funny guy anyway, but um, I'm waiting for him. He puts the helmet on as soon as he puts it on. What the fuck? What's going on here? And I'm like, those two. I'm like, what is it? And he's like, I forgot. it's Vaseline in my helmet. I went, 
Bundy and Dykers, man, they're always, they just can't leave it be. Oh, I'll get them. So he didn't say, I don't know. He didn't, we didn't talk about this part, but we were in Buffalo and he went in their room and just flipped every, like everything was everywhere, but I kind of got it going again. That was and an I, retaliation for the Vaseline? Yeah. <laughs> oh man. That's beautiful. I didn't have the balls to tell him, but now he's going to know, but oh, it was yeah. still I had to get something going, man. Oh yeah, that's the stuff <laughs> that awesome. keeps the locker room loose, man. You gotta, yeah. you gotta have the pranks. Yeah, you have to, man. There were lots of them with those guys. Yeah, so we'll definitely get him back on because I know he's got uh, a deep vault of uh, some pretty funny stories. You know, he's he does. he's not sure of them. So, um, but yeah, man, it was awesome. It was nice to catch up with him. Appreciate yeah. him uh, carving out the time and again announcing. Uh, his newest venture on uh, the Nasty Knuckles podcast. So yeah. <clears throat> that pretty much wraps up episode 11 of Nasty Knuckles. Be sure to tune in next week, and we have uh, a big timer next week. Yeah, we do. Uh, as they all are. Um, but, uh, you know, you guys will be pleasantly surprised and, uh, and happy to hear from them. So be sure to tune in. Have a great week. And stay safe, knuckleheads. See you, knuckleheads. 